Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. February 5th, 2016 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and we discuss here news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host here, Amy Peikoff, and I see a lot of my usual uh, listeners here in the chat room. Also, um, let's see what we have. John, uh, John Kenny, Jonathan Honig, John Roberts, Jack Lovell, Fiona, Craig, AC Craig, and PA. I think I also saw John Roberts, right? Did I already say John Roberts? Fiona. Fiona's from halfway around the world. Welcome. Stuart. Uh, Robert Nasir in the chat room says, now we're cruising. <laughs> and uh, essentially this week we are. I, I, I mean, this was pretty amazing this week. I put in the program notes for today over at DontLetItGo.com, I put in the program notes a link to the show that we did in 2013, September of 2013, called Is Is Ted Cruz the Guy? And essentially the show was speculating that Ted Cruz might be somebody to watch for the future based on the fact that he had given that, you know, filibuster-type speech, it wasn't technically a filibuster, against Obamacare, and that during that speech, he recommended in the strongest terms that everyone go out and read Atlas Shrugged. Uh, Thanks to some helpful people on Twitter, I have the clip of Ted Cruz reading from and recommending Atlas Shrugged from the floor of the Senate back in 2013. I've got that YouTube clip over in the program notes. Again, go to DontLetItGo.com for those program notes. But this week, We had two nice occasions. One is Ayn Rand's birthday, and that was on February 2nd. And that came the day after the Iowa caucus, where we had, yes, we had the first presidential candidate who read Atlas Shrugged from the floor of the Senate, who also recommended it, and he won in Iowa. Now, yes, he's not an objectivist. He's religious in his victory speech, which I did not watch People were complaining about it, and I figure maybe I'm not going to. It was extremely religious. So 
you know, no. Is, is he an objectivist? No. He has been influenced by her. He has great positions on so many issues. And I think the thing that makes him the best of the pack of candidates that we have here so far is that influence from Ayn Rand. That's, uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Stuart says in the chat room, thank God for winning. He says, who does he think he is, a football player? That's right. He's got a uh, a good strategy, as, and we'll talk about that as well. Um, so today I've returned to the alliterative show title, Election. Of course, how can we not talk about the election this week? Education, Ethanol, Environmentalism, and Economic Freedom. Those are among the topics that we're going to be discussing. Again, go to DontLetItGo.com. You'll see all the program notes for the show. You can learn more about me if you haven't listened before. Maybe consider becoming a show supporter. We would love to have you. Thank you to show supporters. By the way, I'm sitting here drinking my buttered coffee. By the way, I'm still drinking half-calf because I'm still trying to get the final word on what's going on with my kidney. For those who have been following the story for a long time, I was diagnosed last July. I can't believe how long this has been you know, going on. But in July, I was diagnosed with this blockage from my kidney. Finally, in November, I got the surgical repair, but there's been all sorts of ups and downs since then with infections and whatnot. So this week, I had an ultrasound. I don't have the official word on the ultrasound, but just like a horrible patient, any horrible patient who has a condition, what do you do? You go to the internet and you search about it. So what I wanted to do was I went and what I did is I went to the internet and I looked for ultrasound pictures of the kidney that I didn't want to see on the ultrasound, which is like an overinflated kidney that's still suffering from a blockage. It's called hydronephrosis, I think is what it's called hydronephrosis. So you can go see ultrasounds of weird kidneys if you want to go look at those too. So um, luckily I was in my ultrasound in a position where I could see the screen and my kidney didn't look like one of these really bad hydronephrotic kidneys. It looked like kind of a deflated kidney, which is what it should have looked like given all the damage that it had been done to it. So it looked kind of pathetic, but it didn't look like it was actively, you know, really swollen. So, again, I have to get the final word. And those texts are not allowed to tell you exactly what's going on. So um, I'm waiting for the word from my doctor. But that looked positive. And then I did some blood tests this morning just to confirm no infection in the urinary tract, no infection, you know, systemically in my body, um, kidney function, just basic blood work, just to kind of, you know, put me at ease that any pain that I'm experiencing is just, you know, post-surgical healing pain. So I think I'm about there, but I'm still drinking my half-calf. I've got my buttered coffee here, but it's half-calf. So those of you who think I'm wimpy, just know I'm going out there for my health. Um, Now, John Kenny says, uh, I personally, oh yeah, he says, personally thank Ted Cruz for the Atlas Shrugged reading. Absolutely, says Ted. Yeah, that is wonderful um, that, that we have a politician who has a chance of becoming president of the United States, who has read Atlas Shrugged from the Senate. You know, um, I would love if Ayn Rand was around to see what she would have thought of Ted Cruz. There's been a huge controversy within objectivist circles about him because of his religiosity. And, of course, Rand, if you go back and read the substance of some of the Q&As that were around uh, 1980, she 
really, really disliked Ronald Reagan. Um, there were some political things that he did that she didn't like and she would talk about, but mostly because of his religiosity and his stand on abortion. And the question would be for her, I mean, first of all, here he is, you know, this first candidate who's got this serious chance of becoming president, who's been so profoundly influenced by her. And you can see it in so many of his political positions, right? Um, we're in this real dire time. Um, I've got into the, in, the, in the program notes today a uh, headline that appeared at the top of Drudge while I was preparing the show, and it's about a potential economic downward spiral that the world might be going into right now. And, you know, that just adds to ISIS and the crisis created by Obamacare and all of the other horrible things. It, it's really important, I think, who we choose for the next president. Would Ayn Rand say, you know, I don't like Cruz's religiosity, but at least, and this has been my position throughout, at least he has a strong understanding of freedom of expression. We are all going to be able to express ourselves with respect to any disagreement that we have with him on issues where he's being influenced by religion. We can do that. And we can enjoy the benefits, potentially, of no more, I think he wants to get rid of Department of Education, which would be important. We'll talk about that today. Uh, get rid of the IRS. He's strong on privacy uh, of the remaining candidates now that Rand Paul is out. He's probably the best there. Um, he is the best on foreign policy. He has, I think, of any of the candidates, the most rational foreign policy because he does not seem like a neocon who wants to go out and spread democracy around the world, but he is strong on getting rid of our enemies, and he realizes the necessity of accepting sometimes civilian casualties as part of what it takes to get rid of enemies who would do us harm. So many crucially good positions at this time. Some wrong positions, too. Immigration, we have some differences with, with crews on for sure. But I'd be interested to hear. I, I would like to actually put to Leonard Peikoff that question, you know, given that Rand strongly disapproved of Reagan in 1980 because of his religiosity. What would she, you know, think of Cruz today? Uh, but you know, all the Republican candidates are religious today, except for Trump. And what is Trump? Trump is the empty vessel, would-be authoritarian. So, um, I wonder. Selfishness says, "Do you think that Cruz knows that uh, if objectivists go on strike, the jig is up?" Um, you know, I don't know if the jig is up only if objectivists go on strike. Right now, I don't know that, you know, if simply objectivists. Now, there, if a lot of good people go on strike, then the jig is up. You know, the sad thing is today that most, you know, I, I would say most businessmen still are accepting the shackles that government is putting upon them. And in fact, I saw a horrible headline and I wanted to add it to program notes today, but I was having a really hard time with my computer. Um... What's his name? Bill Gates is quoted as saying that he wishes Obama had more power. And this is Bill Gates, creator of Microsoft. So it's it's just ridiculous. Um, oh, yeah. Craig here in the chat room says that the favorite book of Mauricio Macri, who's the current president of Argentina. I'm sure I just botched that pronunciation. Sorry, Craig. Uh, the The favorite book is The Fountainhead. 
quite enthusiastic about it in public. That is also a very good sign. Whenever you can have world politicians who are enthusiastic about RAND and start to change the culture. <laughs> Ed in the chat room about Bill Gates says, have you used any Microsoft products? Why are you surprised? Uh, you know, I use Microsoft products at work and um, it goes okay, but I have very limited interaction with them, just the minimal. I'm a Mac person myself. But what I do know is that there are always updates and updates and updates, way more updates than are required for the Apple products as far as I know. Uh, Stuart says that Bill Gates also said he thinks capitalism is inadequate for addressing global warming. Well, of course he does. Yeah, John in the chat room says, I have no problems with Microsoft products. You know, to the limited amount that I've been um, interacting with them, I do okay. I prefer Mac. I did have a lot of problems with Microsoft products when I was switching over to Mac. I had Windows 98 running on a Hewlett-Packard desktop called an HP Pavilion, and it was a nightmare. If you did not restart your computer frequently enough, it would start grinding to a halt and doing all this weird churning stuff. It was horrible. I was so relieved when I switched over to the iMac. I do have a caller here. I'm going to grab it in a second. The number, if you want to call and talk about any of the things that I've got over in the program notes, is 760 888 5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And if you want to check out those program notes and see what I've got on the agenda for today, just go to don'tletitgo.com. Let me grab this call. Hi, who's this? Hi, it's Harold. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, Harold. Now, you had sent me uh, via the blog over at don'tletitgo.com, there's a clip from Monica Crowley basically giving the political lay of the land about how the candidates are, are doing and stuff. And I gather she's kind of positive on Cruz, yes? Yeah, and she has been for a really long time, and she's been watching him. And she, she, she's she been on him for years, so she's been watching him for a long time. So it's no surprise to her. It didn't come as a surprise to me once I knew he had 200,000 volunteers. That pretty much sealed the fate of the others. Um, here's I just I got so many different scatter points today, but here first first important point. You wanted to know if we could submit questions to Ted Cruz later on, hopefully once he gets the nomination. Well, I've figured a way to do it. We submit our questions to you. You take those questions to Tammy Bruce, and Tammy Bruce will then be able to get an audience with Ted Cruz and put the questions to him. And I, think I mean that's that, that that would that would be really good. I haven't really approached Tammy about Ted Cruz in a while. The last that I remember, it was interesting. She published a piece in Washington Times, and it was on the topic of does your presidential candidate need to be a good guy? And the answer she had was basically no. And when she was talking about you know, is it supposed to be a nice guy or I guess a nice guy is what she wanted. She says, no, we don't really need a nice guy. And then she was talking about Donald Trump, of course, because Donald Trump is not nice. But then they also say that, you know, Ted Cruz is not perceived as being nice. Why? Because he actually calls people on the fact that they're liars or whatever. So it, repeatedly through this article, she'd say, you know, Mr. Trump and even Mr. Cruz, you know, and, and her point was that maybe these candidates would be good after all. We don't really need a nice guy. We need somebody to fight the establishment and do these things, you know. Yeah, um, from what it, I... It, it, it sounded like she was kind of open to Cruz. So then in the last few weeks, particularly 
uh, when Cruz decided he was not going to go to the debate and had that whole you know blow up with Megyn Kelly again, she started being critical of Trump again. But it's not like the, she then said, okay, well, not Trump, but maybe Cruz. I have not seen her come out anywhere strongly for Cruz. Um, and, and I'm wondering if it's part of the overall Fox News preference for Rubio. Yeah, I've noticed. I've noticed when Monica Crowley is on Fox, she never gets to say anything. They never let her. They never give her more than a minute uninterrupted. Whereas when she goes on John Batchelor, she gets like the whole hour with him, and you get to see what she's thinking. So Fox is very scripted, sort of like CNN. It's all sort of you know the bottle blondes. So that's sort of their style. And and they and they clearly don't like Cruz. No, I think CNN and Fox are both pushing Rubio right now. I'm, I'm, you know, that's it's kind of obvious to me. It's, it's not that it's not that subtle at all. <clears throat> anyway, so here's here's a couple of good things. I was I was watching, you know, I was watching the whole Iowa thing, mm-hmm. and you know, earlier I'd reported Cruz had 170,000 volunteers. Well, before I had a chance to correct that, he only has 160,000. He was already way past that number, so his numbers keep growing. I remember working as a volunteer for Peter Schiff up in Connecticut, Mm -hmm. and we had only 100 volunteers. That doesn't seem like a lot, but I personally in a month made 3,000 calls. That's 100 a day, and all the others did roughly the same. We made about 200 and some thousand calls, and that was half of the registered Republicans, and Schiff only got like 2% in the polls, but on election day, he got 23%. So you cannot underestimate the importance of having those volunteers talking and and listening to people. You get on the phone, you talk to them, you you listen to what they have to say. You don't try to push them. You just sort of just you kind of surf along with them wherever they're going. And that works out very well. I, I brought up Neil Armstrong, the moon landings, Ronald Reagan. They love talking about that stuff. And Cruz is like, to me, he's like, you know, the Barry, Gore, Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan combined, sort of. Mm-hmm. And he's been talking, when you see him standing, he's talking about the, 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 the three-legged stool has become like a five-legged stool. You've got your libertarians and your Tea Party and your conservatives and the blue-collar Democrats, et cetera, et cetera, and then the religious crowd. Right. So he has more legs on his stool. And so the religious leg is only one out of five instead of one out of three now. So I see that as, as a good thing. Uh, in in Connecticut, in, sorry, not Connecticut, in, in New Hampshire, there are two congressional districts there. The one is normally Republican, and the other one, I think the one to the south, is normally Democrat. So mm-hmm. I think Cruz, especially there's a big big snow this weekend. So you're going to have people who are more motivated are going to get out there, and I think those are going to be the Cruz people. I think Cruz is going to overperform again, as as he did in, in Iowa, although Iowa was not a surprise to me. I was absolutely not surprised at that. I expect that to happen. Well, oh. I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know that I was for sure surprised, but I was definitely pleased because it could have gone a different way. I mean, um, yeah. But I, I, th- I thought that that was within the realm of the possible. But it would be a lot more surprising, right, Harold, if he was to actually win New Hampshire. Um, I don't think he'll win New Hampshire. <clears throat> yeah. But remember, Rand Paul has just dropped out. Right. And Rand Paul's 5% has nowhere to go. They have only one place, and that's Ted Cruz. They're either going to yeah. stay home or they're going to vote for Cruz. Um, I think this, this um, Cruz and Trump 
firing at each other right now is a big mistake because it could let Bush start to creep up again. You know, I do not want Trump to leave this race until Bush is completely gone. I'm still worried about Bush, you know, and 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 his replacement Rubio. So those two have got to be gone before Trump leaves the race. So Trump has to yeah, stay in fact, all the way to the that, end. Um, that's part of the strategy that's laid out in that New York Times opinion piece that I put on the program notes. It's called The Plausibility of Ted Cruz. And the guy is saying, look, Ted Cruz could win, particularly if Trump stays in for a certain period of time at least. Yeah. Is, um, that the one know, with, is that the one where there was a two-way race and, and Cruz gets 55 and Trump gets 40-something? I didn't see that statistic in this piece, but yeah. he was he was talking about that basically if if things go along as they were and Trump doesn't drop out, then there's something called the SEC states, which I don't even know what the guy meant about those. I'm supposed to know, I the guess. South, know. The, the South Southeast United States. Okay, but that's SEC. I don't know what the C yes, is. Yes, but that is Alabama and and Texas and okay, oh Southeast and Central. Oklahoma and all, all those states. Okay, okay. So so he says, you know, if uh, Trump stays in through there, he says then by March 2nd, perhaps we'll have the media start talking about Ted Cruz as the front runner. And that's what he was saying, that it's very plausible that this could happen. Yeah. Um, something else, uh, somebody put me on to Scott Adams, you know, the guy who's the cartoonist who does Dilbert? Okay. So he, uh, I didn't realize until recently, but he has a he's a, has professional training as a hypnotist. He has a he took some course way back, so he knows the art of persuasion. So he's been watching Trump not for political reasons, but just showing how Trump does his persuasion thing. And Trump uses a lot of hypnotic techniques. He does the half sentence trick where you do half a sentence and then the listener completes the sentence out of their own mind. And so he he even predicted that when Cruz won Iowa, that Trump would accuse him of cheating because he said that's what Trump's uh, supporters kind of believe in their own minds. They they love conspiracies. And sure right. enough, it didn't take two days, and that's exactly what happened. So he, he's able to predict just based on – so if anyone's interested, go to the Dilbert blog when you when you have a chance and read some of those stories. They, they're not political, but they do show from a business point of view how, how what Trump is doing. But I think the wheels are starting to come off the Trump machine a little bit. He he's not quite sure what to do now. Things when things don't go his way, he seems to just lash out. You know, so I don't think that's now, a good strategy. I, the most the most recent thing I heard today, and in fact, uh, Bosch Faustin sent me the story, but I wasn't able to grab it into the program notes because I was having trouble with my Apple. And in fact, John Stewart here in the chat room says Apple is the new Microsoft. I am having trouble with Apple now and the slowness of the browser and all this. And some people have written in and given me alternatives when I'm pulling my hair out, but I'll have to figure this out. Um, health first, then maybe the rest of it, right? Um, so uh, today the story is that even though Trump has been just lashing out and cruised, you know, saying he's a liar and he, you know, stole the election and all these horrible things over the last several days, that today he actually said that Cruz would be a good running mate, and he's always liked Cruz. Well, what happened? You see, Trump, it's nothing serious with Trump. Everything is just like market-tested uh, jogging. 
So he, he puts out his, his jargon in a small, sort of like you put it in a small market, see what happens, and then you go big. So Trump has probably been testing it on little groups to see what's going on. And once he finds something that works, then he throws everything into the gap. So that's probably what he did. He just found something. He's always tweaking. It's like a, a comedian watching the audience for the reaction to a live audience. And when you see something works, then you, you, you do more in the same direction. That's Trump. Right. Um, I mean, you know, one one thing if you know anyone is thinking Trump versus Cruz, I've got that clip of Ted Cruz convincing the Iowa farmer that ethanol subsidies are not the way to go that in fact the policy that he's going to do where he removes the subsidies from every, you know, competitor in the energy market is going to be the best thing. That is a great clip and there that is something that Donald Trump could never do. Could never do. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, that's persuasion from the point of, of being uh, convinced of your own rightness. Um, I think it's fantastic that Cruz stood his ground on ethanol and didn't uh, pander. It's yeah. the best thing I've, I've seen in a politician in decades. I mean, that was a real Ronald Reagan mo- moment when he did that, and he won in despite Iowa, that. In Iowa, I mean, my gosh, he, he stood on that in Iowa Everyone was against him, and he still won the caucus. I mean, that was amazing. Yeah, he was like he was surrounded, like one guy on the top of the hill surrounded by the enemy, and he's got his sword out, and he's fighting them all, and somehow he prevails uh, amazingly. And as for Sarah Palin, she's done. She's toast. I I have a new slogan for her. Shrill, baby, shrill. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have not watched any of these speeches. I saw one headline. Do you think she was paid by Trump? Is any of that true? Yeah, I think if, if... Remember remember what Leonard Peikoff said about her years ago, that she's a political opportunist? Mm. Um, I think she's opportunist, but her opportunism runs in the business realm right now. You know, Everything's about her brand and, and her name and, and how much money she can get out of it. And she doesn't stick with anything for long. I mean, that, that's my problem with her. She's just not a serious player. Right, right, exactly. So hopefully uh, that whole, the, the endorsement is, pretty much meaningless. If not, it counts negatively against Trump. Yeah. What I'm looking for out of everything that's going on now, this is not about New Hampshire. Whenever Cruz is up there talking, this is not about New Hampshire. This is about getting the word to the southeast so that he can do do big what he did in Iowa. And so you've got to look at the national picture. He's playing on a big stage right now. He has been from the beginning. He has a big machine plenty of money, that's not a problem, and the volunteers. And those volunteers multiply themselves. And also, he started early, he started in March. That was the thing with the shift campaign. We ran out of time and the importance of starting early. And Cruz knew that and he did it. And he, he, he's got the money, he has the time, he has the volunteers, he has the message. I have a lot of faith in him. And I wouldn't even have Cam. I, I, w- I wouldn't it, even call it faith, Harold. I wouldn't call it faith. I mean... This guy is giving you reason to believe he can win, right? Faith as defined by me, confidence. Okay. (laughs) I had to read I I was using the word loosely. Uh, What did you say? Are you talking to me? Yes, yes. What did you say? I'm sorry. Uh, No, I said I was using the word loosely, loosely defined. Yes, and and I'm being the picker is what I'm doing. If you look at the number of delegates in the southeast, I mean, we're talking about Excluding Florida, but include, this is, includes Texas, um, Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, all those states. Those are very religious people. 
and there's there's a huge number of delegates, probably almost half the delegates are down there, or a third of the delegates, and that's all going to happen in the first week of March, and Cruz is so organized down there, he's he spent so much time and money and effort, and he's got all the churches organized. I mean, he has, he has people down to the county level, multiple multiple subdivisions of counties with somebody in every single location. I mean, it's like watching a machine. I have no advice to give him. I think he's doing everything just right. Uh, there's nothing I can tell him to do things better than he's doing them right now. But I the mean, funniest thing is... To hear. That's great to hear. If he was ever in the White House and he had a court a case between the Supreme Court, I wouldn't put it past him to to study up and present the brief himself. <laughs> <laughs> he might be the only president who could do that, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, not yeah, the only. Right. Not the only, because any of, you know, some of the early presidents who were well-versed probably could have done it. But the first president in a long time that would be capable of doing that. Yeah, anyway. and, of course, you saw Hillary melting down when she won. You thought she'd be happy that she won. That speech she gave where she was getting, you know, we're going to New Hampshire, then we're going to Iowa, and then we're going to the White House. You know, remember that whole thing? Uh, with, the dean, with the dean scream at the end? I, so I did not. remember. It's before that. your time, 19, yeah, 19, uh, 2004, Howard Dean, mm. when, when, when he lost, and he made a speech, and at the end he gave this, this kind of, you know, animal-sounding screech at the end. And that was called the Dean Scream. You can you can Google it. So Hillary did a speech like that. She just left the Dean Scream off the end. I think the reason she was so angry is because Bernie is coming close. You know, as Monica Crowley calls him, uh, it's uh, uh, she calls him Lenin from Brooklyn. Lenin from Brooklyn. I like it. You know, the thing that was just incredible about them, of course, was this six coin toss thing, where six coin tosses went in her favor. My friend Debbie actually calculated that out and it's somewhere one between in 64. One, yeah, 1 in 2% chance in between that of of that ever happening. So Yeah, it you know, wasn't it it wasn't just the the press has not correctly reported that. It wasn't just six twin costs. There were some other twin costs involved. So, I think they've they've tweaked the story to put more gravy on it. I I think that story is a more complicated story. And okay. yes, there were six coin tosses and she won there, but there were other coin tosses that she lost. You're not getting the whole story. It just makes for a juicy story if you tell it that way. Okay, I understand. Um, but yes, it is very close, and I'm sure Hillary cannot believe that Bernie Sanders is that close to her because, of course, she is... That's her anger. Well, and, and she's supposed to get the presidency. It's just supposed to be delivered to her on a silver platter, just as she's supposed to you know, conduct her email according to her convenience, you know, forget any concern for our national security, right? It's all well, about... people's lives. People's lives. Yes. People who are working undercover at an embassy, and next thing you, you say, oh, they're working so-and-so, they're working for the agriculture department at the embassy, and there's only like two people. It's not hard to figure out which one it is. Yes. Yes, exactly. So pr- pretty sad. All right. Um, thanks for my time and on the air here. And uh, you know, hope, hopefully you get well. By the way, one of the things that will help you, and I haven't put it up, I haven't been a little lazy, you need to make a really complex vegetable soup with about 12 different vegetables, and including mushrooms and onions and all that kind of thing. Okay. And that is like super medicine. And you know, you start having that, eat, eat broccoli, eat greens, load up on greens, and 
you'll see what what happens. You'll see some, but it might those those things interact with uh, pharmaceuticals, so you have to be careful. I'm on very little in any way of pharmaceuticals anymore, so that's kind of behind me. I'm very excited about that. But yeah, if you want to send me that recipe, I'm all for that. Thank you very much, Harold. Okay, thanks. Bye. Okay, we'll talk soon. Take care. Um, I've got a new listener, I think, Herman the German here in the chat room. How long since this podcast started? Now, this individual podcast has been on for about 30 minutes, but if you're talking about when I've started being on the air, I actually started in 2011, and in fact, on Blog Talk Radio, I think fall of 2012, or maybe fall of 2011, I can't remember, it's been a while, so welcome. Jonathan in the chat room, Jonathan Honig, says LP, Leonard Peikoff's observations in 2008, McCain, a tired moron, Obama, a lying phony, Biden, an enjoyably hilarious windbag, Palin, an opportunist struggling to learn how to become a moron, a phony, and a windbag. <sighs> That's awesome, as only Leonard can do. Um, thanks, thanks for that, Jonathan, for reminding us. Um, yeah, same time every Friday. Yeah, do, so yeah, do follow on Facebook. I have a, a page on Facebook. Don't let it go unheard, or you can follow me on Twitter, and you can do that. But yes, back in 2013, we we're already saying is Ted Cruz the guy. I see that Matthew Nelson in the chat room says that he was a Rand Paul supporter and is now thinking of supporting Ted Cruz. I would say, in terms of so many issues, they are the closest. Um, you know. Cruz is going to be the best on privacy. He's the only one remaining standing who's against encryption and against the NSA and all these things. And he's also the best in terms of economic policy. Uh, there were some things that I liked from Rand Paul a little better on that. But, um, you know, Cruz is, Cruz is pretty close in terms of doing some, you know, he's planning to do some very extreme things to turn things around in the right direction. Cruise it or lose it. AC Craig and PA is coming up with a new campaign slogan for Cruise. I was impressed with Cruise coming up with his little term this week, Trumper tantrum. So whenever Donald Trump throws a temper tantrum, it's now a Trumper tantrum. And again, even with that, you know, Cruise had coined that a couple days ago. Trump is now saying, "Oh yeah, I would have Cruise as my VP. I always think he's a good guy." So. Um, you know, the, another thing in this article, it's called the plausibility of Ted Cruz that this New York Times opinion writer uh, pointed out. I'm I'm clicking on the article. I'm waiting for it to load. I'm waiting for it to load. Apple, please help me. Um, this is a, an article written by Ross Duthat, I think is how you would pronounce it. So it's an opinion piece over at the New York Times called The Plausibility of Ted Cruz, published yesterday. And... He pointed out that Cruz is the only one so far who has won a state, Iowa, and has survived and even thrived after, I mean, that's the way I put it. Um, he, he put it, I think, you know, actually, I, I don't know exactly how he put it. But anyway, survived and thrived after a conflict with Trump, right? Uh, Trump hasn't yet really gone after Rubio, but when he does, it's going to be interesting to see if Rubio can handle it as well as Ted Cruz has. Ted Cruz has done very well. So basically, you know, the theme of this piece is, you know, first of all, why is it that Cruz is not getting the attention after actually winning 
everybody else, you know, it's the it's the Trump upset that gets the attention. It's the fact that Rubio did better than his polls or whatever that gets the attention. But it, you know, the fact that Cruz actually won, and he won despite coming out against ethanol subsidies in Iowa, nah, not getting the media attention. He's saying, look, you know, there's a very good chance that by March 2nd, the media is going to be covering him as the front runner. Here's how it can happen. So go ahead and read that if you're interested. And you can check out all the other materials that I've got at don'tletitgo.com. Now, I do have another call, and I'm going to go ahead and grab it. Let's check it out. Hi, who's this? Are uh, you talking with me? Yes, I am. Okay, my name is Frank. Frank, and welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Uh, I've been uh, listening to quite a few of your podcasts recently. I got so much in my head, and then, of course, I go blank as soon as you say, who am I talking to? Uh, But uh, I do want want to just say uh, that uh, I I, uh, posted on Don't Let It Go Unheard on on Facebook uh, earlier this week on Monday that uh, I I was – registered here in Florida, where I'm from, uh, no party affiliation. And I went down and changed my uh, party affiliation to Republican at the Board of Elections because in March on March 15th, they're having the presidential preference primary for mm-hmm. Florida. And uh, so... I am. I intend to vote in that. I don't want to let it go to just the average Floridian Republican out there. I don't know how much I'm going to be doing, but uh, I do want to do something. And, right. and uh, the other thing I want to say about that is that uh, after watching the uh, the victory speech, the uh, the watch room speech the other night of Cruz. It was one of those things where I felt like I was getting a a a, a, a look down in, into the future of if he wins the presidency, I'm going to have that same experience of, yes, yes, he won. Oh, he won because all the religiosity that he brought into it and the emphasis that he talks about on uh, Glenn Beck and other talk shows about, about the uh, Supreme Court and how important that is, and we've got to get these up to four justices can be replaced, and we can overturn Roe v. Wade, and it's just, okay, I'm glad he's there, and he's the best of what there to choose, but, eh. (laughs) No, it's it's a very contextual decision, and it's not, like, for instance, I don't have a cruise bumper sticker on my car, um, I've thought about it. I mean, it just and you know, a lot of people have put the cruise logo as their Facebook profile picture and stuff. And it's it's very tempting to get so enthusiastic. I mean, it'd just be nice to be completely a hundred percent enthusiastic about a political candidate. And you know, that it's that's the element that makes you not really able to do that. But nonetheless, you know, when he says things that he promises to make, you know, the if he gets the nomination, it's going to be a referendum on you know, flat tax and repealing Obamacare. And there was uh, one other thing uh, that Sonny talked about with us last week. Um, And it wasn't anything to do with religion. That's the kind of stuff, you know, and and his ability to talk about. 
Excuse me? It might have been Department what of Education. It might have been Department uh, of Education. If, if that's one of his top three, I mean, even better. But for sure, you know, getting, you know, abolishing IRS flat tax and Obamacare and these other positions that he has are just so excellent. And, you know, with Rubio, you know, we don't even know. Also, Rubio on the environment is, is wishy-washy. Um, I just I just think of of the batch that we have right now, Cruz is so much better than them that I am willing to hold my nose through all of the religious you know religious stuff. I know that it's bad. I don't even want to watch that speech because I heard it was <laughs> bad. And um, you know, nonetheless, in the context, I would I would vote for him. I I did have to tune out a little bit because it was starting to give me a little bit of a sinking feeling. But but again, I, I have gone out and changed. My my vote, uh, my my ability to vote uh, in the primary, because right. I, I don't want to. I'm not going to go rah rah and put the bumper sticker on and and all that other stuff because that's just that's bells and whistles. But I what I can do is I can vote for him, and then even if I change my party affiliation back at a later time because I feel more comfortable not being linked to any of the parties. Right. But, but I can't do it in the primary. You can't vote in, in, a, in a primary if you're not a party Yeah, state party by state, the rules are different about that. State by, you know, some yeah. states, they allow you to vote even if you're not registered for that party. Some don't. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, I guess that's all I can think of to say at this time. Let me say one more thing. Sure. And I, I, it's only because it's such a... It's not a strong memory, but it's it's an impression that I have. <laughs> and I'm going to maybe sound like I'm Donald Trump schmoozing you, and, and I, I don't want to come off like that, but I remember you on the day that Ayn Rand got her stamp on the Intrepid. Okay. And I remember right. you wearing... The dress you wore had polka dots, you had a veil, and you had gloves. And I just remember thinking, who is that? And then I saw you with Leonard Peacock, and I said, aha, I see who that is. And it was just one of those things that was very striking, and I just want to mention that for what it's worth. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Frank, and and thanks for calling in. And Thanks for, you know, at least going out there and, and doing what you can to vote. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, we can vote for him and, and to a limited extent support him, but it's in a qualified way, right? Um, but still, I mean, you know, given the candidates that you expected to be able to choose from in 2016, he's better than that. And I think that's good news, right? Yeah, and that he is so much ingrained in the Constitution and that maybe that very the uh, fact that he, he is beholden to the Constitution and, and pays attention to the Constitution, that it may actually prevent him from doing things uh, on the religious side. Uh, I, I say that, and then I remember that he fought for for uh, the, the religious symbols on uh, veterans' memorials in uh, Texas, and, and that he's gone in the various cases that he's fought. Against uh, for religious liberty in the uh, Supreme Court, but I just hope that maybe there'd be something that would limit his ability. Uh, you know, again, I'm counting Make on exercising my right to free speech under a President Cruz because Cruz has a robust, principled understanding 
of freedom of expression. So we're going to be able to speak out against those positions. And, and I think that's the consolation. With any of the other candidates, I have very major differences with them. And they do not have the right positions on freedom of expression and on privacy as well. And um, yeah. No matter what happens, hope he wins. But even if he doesn't, uh, the fight's not over for anybody who's interested in, in pushing more free market, uh, secular kind of uh, limited government. No, of course not. And that's another lesson that we got from Iowa, right? Um a candidate, a candidate who rejects ethanol subsidies, even in Iowa, can win. So that's that's pretty very good. Very good news. time. Thanks very right, much, thank uh, Frank, for calling in. I really appreciate also the uh, the compliment and and remembering from all those years back. I was trying to remember the dress. I have I have kind of a different memory of what I was wearing, but it was similarly dressy, if I recall correctly. So someday we can compare notes about that. I do have another call, and I guess I'm going to go ahead and grab it before I go into the topic of education, maybe while we're still on election. Hi, who's this? It's Matt, Amy. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Um, I just uh, I wanted to tell you, I actually participated in the Iowa caucuses a few years ago. Oh, wow. And, and what's that like? It's, um, it, it was interesting. Uh, I'll date myself a little bit here by telling you uh, it was uh, we didn't have a choice of whom to vote for, really, because it was Reagan. But in the neighborhood caucuses, what you first start off doing is choosing your candidate. But then you go and so if you have people who are in there who really have an axe to grind, uh, they'll be sure to put something in and try to get it voted on in the neighborhood. Hmm. And then each neighborhood is allowed to send so many delegates to the county. And when I was in this uh, college town, um, there was four of us there at the uh, neighborhood caucus, and we got to send four to the county, so we all went to the county caucus. And that's where it really changes up. And for this last week, uh, the Iowa caucuses were just the neighborhood caucuses. So you have to understand that a lot happens in between the neighborhood and the county caucuses. And then after that, it's the state caucus. Okay. So a whole, uh, a whole lot of the, for lack of a better word, I'll call it the establishment, starts getting involved. And mm-hmm. uh, a good example, really good example is that to every county, or I'm sorry, every neighborhood will take all of these party platform planks and they'll send them into the county. And then when you get to the county caucus, you get this platform that's put together on all these planks that you get to vote for. And it's an either up or down vote, or you can start uh, editing. And so when you start editing... You know, if you have something in there that you find objectionable, and the year I was there, it was all about abortion mm. or not. Right. And so the, the real question is, okay, you, you have these 86 neighborhoods sending into the county. Well, who gets to select which platform planks go on the platform? Right. And... <laughs> 
that's where, like I said, the establishment really gets involved. And well, so I would assume a- I would assume that if there's you know again more to be done in this process, and that there's something at stake for Cruz, that he's got a lot of people on the ground there knowing exactly what to do, right? Um, right. He's he's probably quite mobilized and prepared to you know do yeah. whatever is required of the follow up because yeah I'm pretty ignorant of the process there. Yeah, you know, I thought you know they have their you know, in initial caucus, and, and that gives you results, and that's it. But you're saying that there's more that can happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, I would be willing to guess that Trump doesn't stand a chance now because he oh, won't have any apparatus. because of the fallout since the other day. Yeah. Well, e- even more so than that, but uh, he just won't have the organization, whereas the other people do have a better organization behind him. And mm-hmm. so... Um, when you start voting on who attends the county caucus, let alone the state caucus, now you're going to weed out some of these people on the line, and uh, support will shift just a little bit. Okay. And I would I would suggest that Trump is going to lose a lot in between here and there. Wow. Okay. I hadn't even heard about that or thought about that. And what happens, for example, uh, Rand Paul dropped out. So does that right. mean that any of the – because what did he have? He had, just, I guess, like one delegate from that? I can't remember what they assigned him, that he would that, – that his would go to somebody else? Right, right. Uh, and whoever got voted to be that delegate is going to have the choice. Okay. And so and so there's oh, a lot so of wild cards in there. It's cruise, right? It'll be several months before the county caucuses and then the state caucus, too. And so when it really comes to delegates going to the national convention, a lot can happen in between here and there. Interesting. And, I mean, I've never known any of this process before. This is probably the first time I've watched an election this closely because it's the first time that there's been a candidate who's been, you know, so influenced by Rand and everything else. It's, It's definitely piqued my interest in a way that politics at this stage has, you know, never before. Yeah, I just wish there was somebody we could support. It's uh, who you vote for doesn't so much matter. Uh, but as far as, like you say, putting a bumper sticker on your car other than the anybody but Hillary, yeah. <laughs> I'm not willing to well, do. Well, and you know what? What does putting the bumper sticker on your car mean, right? And right now or later, does it mean different things? So, for example, if it comes down. <laughs> Do Cruz versus Hillary, and you put a Cruz, you know, sticker on your car. At that point, it just means you are choosing him over Hillary. Really, um, you know, right now, if you were to put it on your car, it might mean a little bit more in terms of agreeing with every single thing the guy stands for. But maybe later, it wouldn't mean as. It'd be interesting to to think about that because I, I don't think you know the fact that you support a political candidate means that you agree with every single thing that he stands for. It means that you know given the total context, you think that this person is the best of the ones who could realistically win. And uh, certainly that's Cruz for me, but, you know, if I put the Cruz bumper sticker on, are people going to say that I'm, you know, anti-abortion or anti-gay marriage or something like that? I, I certainly don't want that attributed to me. Well, I right. agree. That's a, that's a valid concern. Yeah. So we, we can we can have discussions, but, I mean, what what's your thought? I mean, do you think there's a valid argument to say that later, if, Cruz becomes the nominee, that then if you put the bumper sticker on, maybe it doesn't necessarily mean you agree with everything he stands for? I, I would have to say that. Um, it, it, I'm still 
I don't know if I can even go that far. Like I say, voting for him, I'll do that easily. Um, but as far as, you know, being an out, really a supporter, I really can't commit myself to anybody that's out there right now. I understand. I mean, I do. It, and people are very, very torn about it. Um, so, yeah, the thing I don't understand is the people who are truly hostile to Cruz. Um, that, I, you know, I, I don't quite understand. And I think there's some personality things going on with people, too. He just kind of clashes with them. Um, so there's there's some of that dynamic, too. Some people just like a certain personality type. Some people don't. But for me, it's been, you know, the the fact that he has endorsed Atlas Shrugged on the floor of the Senate, urged everybody to read it. And it is such an important book for everyone to read. And he does seem to understand it to a large extent, excuse me, as evidenced by all of the political positions that he has, um, you know, other than abortion, gay marriage, and et cetera. So uh, it's, to me, it's it's very exciting. And that's more what it's about. Um, you know, would you want him maybe to be a little bit more charismatic in certain ways or whatever? Perhaps. But I mean, he has the clear ability to present his ideas in a thoughtful way, in a measured way, as evidenced by this ethanol exchange and also as evidenced by that time. I don't know if you remember, uh, Code Pink crashed an event of his and he actually took whoever was the highest ranking Code Pink person who had come to the event and said, hey, come up here and have this exchange with me and had a similar type of exchange there where, you know, very respectful, but also very much, you know, staying on principle and, and not backing down from his position. And he, and he does that time and again in a way that nobody in the field in either party probably can, right? Um, I agree. So I, are, There are a few good indications such as that. Uh, too often what I see is too much pandering and too much of where I'm just not sure where somebody really stands. It, I went to a talk one time, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he gave a talk on atheism. And one of the things that kind of surprised me along the line is he claimed that he really believed that two presidents that he could think of were atheists. Hmm. And the first one was Abe Lincoln, which I can't see at all. You know, I too many quotes from him would tend to for me to think the exact opposite. But the hmm. other was Obama. Mm-hmm. And I can almost believe that. Just because sure. I don't know that the guy believes in any or you know accepts anything as a, a principle, and that it's just convenient pragmatic choice to oh I'm a supporter of this when it's convenient and uh, you know I just don't trust in so many of them to to say what they really believe if they really yeah there there have been um, a number of people who have commented on the fact that although he professes to be a Christian his church attendance is irregular at best. I don't even remember the last time I heard or saw that he attended church. So he may have indeed, you know, said he was a Christian just for some sort of political pragmatic reasons. Right. And going to Reverend Wright's church for 20 straight years is yeah. <laughs> more of a political statement than anything else. Ed in the chat room here is saying Obama is a theist. It's just that he's his own god. <laughs> and then uh, Stewart in the chat room about Abe Lincoln, uh, he says that some historians say that Abraham Lincoln was a deist. 
so potentially, right? Um, quotes I've read, it's it's tough to swallow. I'd really have to think that he's a theist. Okay. Well, I do thank you for your uh, phone call, Matt, and well, I'm going to go you. ahead and get into some of the more stories that I've got planned for today. We've got education and other things planned here. Let me see what I've got going on in the chat room. Um, someone says, John in the chat room says, if you put the bumper sticker on, you have linked yourself to everything he stands for. Yes, that's the fear that I have, and that is why I have not put a sticker on. Although, wouldn't it be wonderful to be so excited about a political candidate that you could put a bumper sticker on your car? It would be great. Um, And then Herman in the chat room says, maybe Cruz is actually an objectivist but just pretends to be religious. I couldn't see that. I mean, and he also tells a very convincing story about the influence that religion has had in his life. You know, I, I don't know. And... I can only hope that if we get him in, and this is what uh, Tim in the chat room, he says, step one, get Cruz elected. Step two, criticize Cruz. Yes, and we will, under a Cruz presidency, from all indications, be allowed to criticize Cruz on whatever position it's important to do so. So I think it's going to be fine. Uh, Ed says, Lincoln privately may not have been religious, but he governed as more of a Christian than any candidate in the race today. That is interesting. Definitely. Matthew says, when Paul Ryan was announced as a VP candidate, his support of Rand was made an issue in the media. When will anybody link Cruz to Rand and question his religious credentials? I don't know. I mean, they've had plenty of opportunity to do this, and it doesn't seem to be gaining any steam. It, it could be because there are a lot of objectivists who have you know, said that they don't support Cruz because of his religiosity, maybe anyone who's hanging around. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the future, especially when the media can no longer ignore him if he continues to do as well as he has. So let's go ahead and kind of switch topics here. Again, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com, for all the stories that I've got today. I've got a couple stories on education, and uh, one of them is an actually an older story, but it wound up in my news feed this week. It's from... The Atlantic. The Atlantic has a lot of great articles on a, on a number of topics, as you know. The title of this one is, My Daughter's Homework is Killing Me. And what you have is you have a freelance uh, writer, magazine contributor, who lives in New York, and his daughter going to school in New York, at least was a couple of years ago, a middle school in New York. And he was dismayed at the amount of homework that his daughter had, that his daughter was spending from 8 o'clock to midnight every single night during the week doing all this homework. And then, um, you know, she'd get very little sleep and then drag herself into school the next day, and it was day after day after day. And so he decided, you know, a lot of journalists think this is you know, a fun thing to do. You say, okay, I'm going to try a particular thing and sort of keep a diary about it and let you know how it went. And he decided he would try doing his daughter's homework for a week and writing about it and telling you how it was. And so he goes through, if you read the article, you can go check it out. Um, He goes through each of the night's homework 
Um, the, the school that the daughter goes to is apparently a very selective public school. You apply to these more selective public schools in New York, and if you're a good enough student, you can get in. This is called the NYC Lab Middle School for Collaborative Studies, a selective public school in the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan. So his daughter got in, and each night about three hours or so of homework, and he describes it, you know, there's some algebra homework, and there's Spanish and humanities and, um, you know, reading of this one book and everything. And so he's going through and he's trying to do the same amount of homework as the daughter does and see how he survives. And, you know, he talks about the fact that he just thinks this is way too much. And he, you know, talks about what happens when he's complained to teachers that he had done this also in California when they lived in California. And interesting story in California, um, he got on, I guess, an email, uh, an email to all the parents that the teacher had sent out, and he, uh, you know, took that all the list of all the emails, removed the teacher's email, and then emailed to all the parents and said, "Hey, who of you thinks that there's too much homework, you know, given out in this class?" And I don't know which class it was, but parents write back and they say, "Oh my gosh, yes, there's way too much homework. This is terrible." Um, you know, you've you've got to uh, we got to try to do something about it. And then it turns out that one of the parents was sympathetic to having all this homework. They think it makes their kid more prepared for college or whatever it is they think. And that parent turned around and gave it to the teacher and the administrator. And this guy, the author, got accused of cyberbullying. Cyberbullying because he criticized the teacher to other parents for giving too much homework. And he wasn't sending this to the the teacher. He was sending it to other parents. They were having a little forum. And he was saying, look, we could have had the media in person. We just happened to have it in this email list. We weren't, you know, sending anything mean to the teacher. But no, they're going to call it cyberbullying. So so it's you know it's all about the travails of getting the homework reduced. And and I'm in full agreement here that you know if you're having a valuable educational experience in school during normal school hours, say eight to three or whatever it is that kids do, that is plenty. And homework afterwards should be minimal. And kids should have time to explore interests on their own. He talks about the fact, you know, when will my daughter, her her name's Esme, when would she ever have time to read a novel for fun, for example? And he says, you know, five days a week, five nights. She doesn't have a, even have the weekends off. There's homework assigned. Uh, but that's his only complaint about the school. So, you know, later in the piece, he talks about the fact that, you know, with all the subject matter, it's good. And if, you know, my daughter absorbs all the lessons from the school, she's going to become this wonderful, upstanding, balanced, i.e. liberal citizen. So he's very liberal, but he's questioning only on this issue of homework. And, uh, one of the things that is talked about in there, it's uh, it's memorization, not rationalization. Memorization, not rationalization is, is what the daughter tells the father about completing some of the homework. And there's no understanding there. There's no time to gain a deep understanding in all these subjects. And one of the subjects was like, um, you know, geography or earth science, as they call it, earth science as well. Um, you know, he was... he. he found in the materials there was some good stuff in there but they are so rushed through all of the different pieces of homework 
that they don't get a deep understanding. They just rush through the homework. They rush to bed. They're exhausted. They get six hours of sleep, which is so unhealthy for anybody, much less a growing child. And they drag themselves through the next day. So, um, you know, this is what's going on in public schools. Obviously, it's more or less a problem throughout the country, but sometimes in the neighborhoods where it's the more competitive schools, the ones that are supposedly really preparing everyone for successful careers, these are going to have even more homework. It's going to exhaust the kids. It's going to make it so that they're absorbing things without really critically thinking about it or understanding it. And, uh, you know, it's certainly not good. This is just another reason that we need to get government completely out of education so that people have more of a choice about what to do with their kids. Imagine if you got all the tax dollars that you ever spent or not spent but was taken from you, you got all those tax dollars back and you were able to spend it on the education of your choice for your child. You could choose a school that provided such a great educational experience during school hours that homework wasn't required. And those schools are available out there. Lisa Van Dam runs such a school. Uh, Laporte schools run such a school. These people, of course, are influenced by objectivism. But I'm sure there are other schools as well that are rebelling against this trend. So that is just one example of why we do need to abolish the Department of Education, which Ted Cruz is promising to do. But we also need to go further. We need to get government out of education entirely. I think that's the only way that we're going to end some of these problems. Another current story that came up this week I wanted to tell you about, which is there are two Maryland parents who are suing their school system for teaching Islam. And I've seen evidence of this also in the California, uh, you know, teaching curriculum, you've heard about this as well, it's now common for school systems to have long units covering Islam, maybe a couple weeks worth of instruction covering Islam, and to never give equal coverage, for example, for Christianity. In California, the rule says that teaching in the public schools should be neutral with respect to religion. So certainly it's not that. You might want, if if you're a secular parent, uh, you're an atheist, for example, you might not want your kid to learn about any religion, but maybe you want them to have some instruction on religion. And if you did want them to learn something about religion, you wouldn't want the religion to be promoted to them in any way. You would just want them to learn about it, right? And moreover, you would want them to learn about all the important world religions that might be influencing things that are going on today. So yes, learn some about Islam, but learn equally about Christianity, particularly here in the United States, where we have pretty much all of the Republican candidates are self-declared Christians and very involved in their faith. Even the Democratic, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton, she will say that, you know, Religion has some influence on her life. She's not going to be left out of that as well. But these parents, we don't know, you know, again, it's going to be in a court of law where we're going to see whether these allegations are true. But the allegations are that, uh, first of all, the, the Charles County Public School District in Maryland actually concealed the fact that their high school world history class promoted Islam. Why? They did not mention in the course syllabus, you know, the course syllabus is sent home and the parents can take a look at it. They did not mention the Islam lesson in a course syllabus. And moreover, 
the textbook that was used for the Islam lesson was a separate textbook that was kept only on the school grounds. The parents didn't look at it. And this textbook, quote, extensively covered Islam. They're saying that their daughter was removed from the course, issued failing grades on her assignments because she, quote, refused to deny and insult her Christian beliefs, end quote, by participating in activities that she believed affirmed Muslims hold stronger faith convictions than Christians. What is meant by that? Who knows? They probably don't mean by that what I mean by that, which is that there are some Muslims who have such strong faith convictions that they're willing to fly planes into buildings and die, I guess, on their faith. Okay, so maybe that's true, but I'm, I'm, I doubt that's what was covered in the class there. Uh, the lawsuit also states that the Charles County Public Schools, quote, curriculum, practices, policies, actions, procedures, and customs promote the Islamic faith by requiring students to profess the five pillars of Islam and to write out faith statements of the religion, end quote. They spent only one day teaching Christianity and devoted two weeks to the lessons on Islam. So we'll, we'll see how this case goes as you know it it makes its way through the court because that's what's you know that's going to be the job of the judge and jury to examine all the evidence etc but this story was just released this week i guess the lawsuit was just filed actually i guess it was yeah about a week ago january 30th so almost a week ago and we'll just be following that story here but it's another reason again we need to get government out of education we need parents to be able to have more control over uh, what's being taught in the classroom. Ed here says, hey, given two weeks to teach Islam, I would do a great job. Yes. Now, Ed, I'm also convinced that you could not be hired by any of the government schools today. I keep calling them public schools. I should be saying government schools. I've got a call who's been on hold here in the chat room. Let me go ahead and take it. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hey, it's Bosch. Hi, Bosch. Thanks for calling in. How are you? I just heard about that, that story the first time I heard about it. I mean, I, you always hear about these stories, these interesting stories about you know girls dressing up with their hijab and all that, and they're pushing that aspect. But also, they make them pray. They make them pray as, Muslims, as if they were Muslims. And they say the Shahada, which is technically speaking, but they become Muslims just by right. you know, doing the declaration of faith. Right. And and uh, it, and it might even be that these teachers are are ignorant and stupid and they don't yes, really know but the, the the people who put this stuff in the textbook are probably not ignorant and stupid and the teachers yeah, are just exactly. ignorantly implementing this and they don't realize you know the importance yeah. of what they're doing. And then and then you got the uh the Islamophile and chief uh mosque that is linked to the Muslim Brotherhood like this uh, really extreme Muslims and go on there and tell them that Muslims keep us safe. Uh, so, it, you know, it starts from that point. I mean, there's a government push to make Islam look good. This is part right. Of but anyway, I just wanted to mention, you know, before, uh, you know, you had that show a few years ago uh, where we were talking about, is Ted Cruz the guy? Yeah. And as, as of right now, Ted Cruz is the guy. You know, yes. he is the guy. I mean, he's, he's the one who won Iowa. He's the one who won it despite everyone knowing, quote, unquote, that Trump would win uh, 13 polls call this for Trump by a, right. I think, bigger numbers. And also, it's just it's just the idea that a few years ago, uh, even friends of ours and whatnot, and people who talk about politics, they said it's impossible for Cruz to win. It's impossible. Well, it's not. And 
to me, it's just it's, it's, it's incredible to just to sit there that night and, and look at the results coming in and knowing that he should win and winning. And Trump, you know, who was who, who guaranteed a victory and all that. and right. but, but still, even, even the fact that he won, he's still, as far as the media is concerned, as far as a lot of people are concerned, again, there's focus on Trump losing, focus on Rubio going up, as you noted. And so it's, it, it's like a, it's a victory that no one wants to admit. But it happens. It's real. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, unlike Santorum and Huckabee, where people say, well, they won Iowa, too. He has a ton of money, and he has a ton of, of expertise in how to get this done. I mean, he has people on the ground, you know, at, right. as, as Harold pointed out. Yeah, so Her- I mean, Her- Harold had the great report from the ground, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's you know, um, it's Ben Shapiro... Ben Shapiro had a, a tweet the other day, you know, commenting on the coverage post Iowa. And he says, look, he says, if, if Cruz outperforms polls by five and Rubio outperforms by three and Cruz takes and Cruz takes down Trump, how in the world is Rubio the story? Because everyone tried to make Rubio the story this week. Oh, yeah. Well, Fox News did, CNN did, everyone did, everyone did, Twitter, and, 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 and that's why, you know, uh, Cruz says, well, people are trying to pretend that uh, bronze is gold, and right. basically he's not going to let them do that. Anyway, it's just it's exciting. That's all. That's all I know it, that. And uh, good show. It definitely is. Definitely is. People people are having a hard time hearing you because of the wind. Okay, I'm so, sorry. I'm sorry. You know, it's fine. I'm going to go ahead and let you go. But uh, thanks for calling in. And yeah, that uh, 2013 we called it right. Ted Cruz yep. is the guy. <laughs> no, we said it's Ted Cruz the guy. Now he's the guy. Definitely. Take right. care. Take care. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a little bit windy, but he hasn't been able to call in that much, so it's nice to uh, be able to have Bosch call in and uh, reminisce on the 2013. I do have another call. Let me go ahead and take it quickly. I do want to get to the other stories that I've got as well, though. Hi, who's this? Hey, Amy, it's Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? I'm great. I just wanted to you know, add my chorus of uh, applause to you and really seeing, I think, Ted Cruz's appeal very much early on and at a time when, you know, he was really thought as being a, you know, wacko as everyone else had described, described him. Um, and I think you're exactly right to, with all of the, of course, misgivings about any number of things I'm sure you'll talk about uh, for, you know, weeks and weeks to come, the impact of Ayn Rand on Ted Cruz is quite self-evident. I think if you've been, it's, it's quite apparent, I think, if you, you listen to him. And if nothing right. else, he is an ideologue. He is really committed to ideas. And if, if that, to me, I think is probably the thing that will, I, I hope, propel him forward, is that he is committed to ideas. And that's about as the most exciting thing you've seen, uh, uh, I think, on, on the other side of the aisle in a long time. Yeah, I mean, he, he's committed to them, and he is able to communicate them well and persuade people who disagree with him in such an effective way. So uh, it's, it is. It's it's very exciting. And a lot of people are you know talking about how unprecedented it is that someone who is against ethanol subsidies could win in Iowa. It, it's fantastic. Keep it up. Well, I mean, you know, c- can I call anything like that in the future? All I did was get very enthusiastic. But, you know, this is my, my second judgment call that succeeded very well. I also made a very early judgment call about Robert Downey Jr. Jr. years ago. Um, 
I had an op-ed published in the LA Times saying that basically they shouldn't, you know, jail him or they shouldn't give him mandatory rehab, that he needs his work to get him through and get him through all that whole drug episode. And look at him today. So <laughs> so I've got I've got two for two on people who inspired me that uh, went on to do awesome stuff. I'm I'm just I I really do. I hope we can get Cruz and uh keep doing your work on Fox News out there because you got to convince all those Fox people that Cruz isn't so bad after all. There's so many commentators on Fox News who just don't like Cruz, you know? Well, uh, you know, my feelings on Mr. Trump have not been uh, – I've been very clear on them. And what's so horrifying is that he is a representative, Trump, of uh, of capitalism in today's culture. So even with – in my opinion, even with Cruz's obvious you know, mystical and religious shortcomings, he represents, I think, a much more authentic – uh, 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 a real perception of self-interest in the, in the American sense than than Donald Trump. Right, right. And and I've, I think a lot of people have kind of criticized him for the, you know, they say, oh, well, Cruz is in it for Cruz. I have no problem with Cruz being in it for Cruz so long as he delivers on his promises, which is what we've seen him do so far. I don't think that, that there's you know any any dichotomy between Cruz being in it for himself and doing what's best for the country, you know, in terms of what you could expect from any political candidate today. Well, that's the worst, the worst part of Trump's shtick, in my appeal, is his altruism that, oh, I could be doing anything else now. Why would I do this? You know, I could be living the life, but I'm going to sacrifice my to do this for you people. Come on. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's definitely ridiculous. Well, uh, well, thank look you, forward Jonathan. to the show. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, and you, and you keep doing what you do um, every week. It's awesome. So take care. Okay, let's get a couple of these stories. I've only got about 15 minutes or so, and I want to see if we can do this. First of all, environmentalism was one of the E's that I promised to get to today. The most alarming story that we have right now uh, comes from climatedepot.com. Somebody in my Facebook feed shared it. I can't remember exactly who did it. But there are uh, U.S. senators who are introducing an amendment to the current energy bill. And the purpose of that amendment is to intimidate and muzzle any climate change dissenters, so to speak. Anybody who believes that you know either there isn't any significant climate change, you know, that they actually question the models out there, or anybody who believes that if there is some climate change, the danger posed by it is not nearly as catastrophic as people are talking about, and therefore we should not be contemplating a whole bunch of radical lifestyle changes in the name of the client or big, huge taxes and everything else. They're saying uh, Democrat U.S. Senators Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island, Ed Markey from Massachusetts, and Brian Schatz from Hawaii introduced an amendment into the energy bill yesterday. So this was published February 4th, so that was February 3rd, uh, into the energy bill intended to express Congress's disapproval of the use of industry-funded think tanks and misinformation tactics aimed at sowing doubt about climate change science. Senator Bernie Sanders, presidential candidate, joined the amendment as a co-sponsor once it was introduced. Meanwhile, in Canada, they had calls to jail climate uh, climate change skeptics. By the way, if you remember, Hillary Clinton 
started to call for pressure to be put on any sort of industry funding of, you know, questioning climate change science. Uh, and she did that only after the gravy train, the donations from these industry leaders dried up for her. Uh, so it, it seems very, very, uh, you know, retaliatory the way that Hillary Clinton was do, doing it. But it is very scary to say that, you know, here's an industry that is going to be tremendously crippled by all of the things done in the name of climate change science. And they're not supposed to be able to defend themselves by putting these ideas out there, you know, the ideas that are, uh, you know, necessary for them to defend themselves. So basically, if the government gets a, a bee in its bonnet, so to speak, about a certain issue, and you're the one who's going to be damaged because the government is going to crack down on you in an immoral and unjust way, you are not supposed to be able to defend yourself according to these senators. And again, Bernie Sanders signed on to this. So if you have the idea, I have no idea if it's ever going to be Sanders, but we know Hillary Clinton's the same way, right? We've talked about Hillary Clinton trying to shut down dissent, even from comedians. She called for a you know comedic video making fun of her to be taken down. She asked the organization or entity that made this video uh, for the personal contact information of the comedians who appeared in the video because they wanted to go ahead and put personal pressure on them. Um, this is not somebody, these are not people who understand freedom of expression and what it means. Yes, there is money behind speech. It always takes money to put out speech. And why shouldn't these people be able to defend themselves in the public you know, they are, you know, the, the 2% or whatever. Everyone says 97% or whoever agrees with the climate change problem. Why not let the 2% speak on their own behalf and then let people figure out what they think is true for themselves before instituting all these taxes and crippling the economy further? I've got another article on environmentalism, thanks to Stuart Hayashi, who sent it in. <laughs> it seems that... Whereas the environmentalists used to criticize all of us for commuting to work, right? Commuting to work was so bad. You know, you're driving your car and all those fossil fuels and the blah, blah, blah. Now, the days that you work from home are wrecking the planet. And this is being put out there by Bloomberg Business. The article, let me see if I can get a date on it here for you. But, you know, again, you can get all these articles. Go to don'tletitgo.com and you can get it. Um, how often do you telecommute? They have a little survey where, you know, U.S., we do it less than other people. I think we should do it more. I think working from home is awesome when you can do it. Um, but they say uh, working at home during the winter in particular can quickly lead to an increase in carbon emissions. A single hour of extra heating for most households cancels out the emissions saved by avoiding a commute. Avoiding a commute uh, does more than just avoid, you know, these carbon emissions. Avoiding a commute also avoids the stress, right? One of the things that I've got going this semester is I'm driving to Los Angeles three days a week. And on a couple of the days, uh, one of my directions of the commute is right during rush hour. And so I'm spending over three hours on the road in a single day for my commute. Now, um, 
you have a fuel efficient car, whatever, okay, you know, you're not spending that much on gas. Who cares about that? What about the time and the stress, you know, the repetitive motion of putting your foot on the brake and the gas because you're in this horrible stop and go traffic? All of those things. What about the quality of human life? But these environmentalists, they don't care about human life. So you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you commute, you're ruining the environment. Now if you stay home, you're ruining the environment as well. Thanks to Stuart for that. And like I said, go check it out. We've got a couple more minutes, and I've got the economy to get to. Um, one is One article that I've got is, America's economic freedom has rapidly declined under Obama. This is one of the angles that has been taken by Heritage Foundation upon the release of the latest Heritage Foundation survey of the freest economies throughout the globe. Uh, In terms of economic freedom, United States, I guess miraculously on their survey up until this year, has been in the top 10. I think they hinted that it might have been probably in the 70s, I would think, uh, not in the top 10. But for a long time, it had been in the top 10 until this year. And now we have dropped to number 11. Uh, The author Anthony Kim writes that millions of people around the world are emerging from poverty thanks to rising economic freedom. But by sharp contrast, America's economic freedom has been on a declining path over the past decade. No small thanks to Barack Obama, of course. They say that our score in the index is closely related to rapidly rising government spending, subsidies, and bailouts. According to this 2016 Index of Economic Freedom, our economic freedom has tumbled with losses of economic freedom in eight of the past nine years, Barack Obama. The U.S. has tied its worst score ever, wiping out a decade of progress. We've fallen from the sixth freest economy in the world when Obama took office to 11th place in 2016. And this is due to rapidly rising government spending, subsidies, and bailouts, he says. Uh, Since early 2009, government spending, excuse me, that was a loud pop there, government spending has exploded, amounting to nearly $30,000 per household in 2015. National debt has risen to $125,000 for every tax filing household in America, a total of over $18 trillion. Now it's over $19 trillion. We just passed that marker the other day. Government takeover of healthcare is raising prices and disrupting markets. Bailouts and new government regulations, he says, have increased uncertainty, stifling investment and job creation. And he says, don't take this lightly, etc. This is bad news. Uh, on the heels of that, we get this news uh, that was at the top of Dredge, like I said, as I was preparing the show today. Citibank is observing that according to you know what they are think you know think is important and that they you know note out there in the world that's going on that our world economy seems trapped in a death spiral that is actually the language that's been used i guess by the experts at citibank it's not just sensationalism from uh you know dredge himself the world seems uh, the world economy trapped in a death spiral and the spiral involves the decreasing oil prices, the increase in the value of the dollar, I guess, as compared to other currencies and other factors that I'm waiting to remind myself of as my CNBC article is loading oh so slowly in my um, Safari browser. Thank you, Apple. 
which is now the new Microsoft, according to John, and I'm tending to agree. Uh, this is written by Katie Barnado, and it was just released on the CNBC website about five hours ago, so Drudge was on top of that. Uh, City says, world economy seems trapped in death spiral, and now I've got the spinning rainbow wheel of death, so I may have to have you guys check that out a little bit later if I can't get this to stop and actually scroll down and read um, and remind myself of some of the things. But, you know, basically they were saying that some people are projecting that the oil prices and the thing with, you know, the value of the dollar and everything is going to change, but Citibank itself is afraid that all the indicators are going. I should, When I had Jonathan on the line, I should have asked him if there was anything to this, but um, it's, it's, it's definitely concerning. And a lot of it is due to, I think, what Obama has done to the economy and all this continued borrowing and spending that's all over the world. How long can you actually get away with this? And then what's going to happen? I do have more people who are, who are calling in, but I've only got a couple minutes left. So I don't, I'm sorry that I don't have time to take these calls. I'm hoping that those of you who are online and uh, wanted to speak to me will call again next week. I'm going to have a show again at the same time here on Blog Talk Radio. It's from 3 p.m. Eastern Time to 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 p.m. Pacific Time, and we can talk some more. I wanted to end on some good news. Yeah, Tim in the chat room says the death spiral implies that it can't be stopped, and City is fairly pessimistic about it, although some other people are predicting that some of the indicators are going to change, like oil prices, value of the dollar, et cetera couple positive news stories just to leave you with. One, thanks to Rob Abiera, who sent this from the News of Oklahoma. Johnson & Johnson and another company called Vitasite, they are testing a possible diabetes cure. So this is yet another exciting story from uh, medical innovation that we can be grateful for, especially in the era of Obamacare, the innovation is still right now going on. So if we can get crews in, repeal Obamacare, we can keep this momentum up in medical innovation. And we could start to see the benefits ourselves in our own lives, the fruits of this medical innovation. We can all enjoy it. Uh, finally, a pro-rape meetup was canceled after Women's Boxing Club threatens to show up. So you're going to have to go to don'tletitgo.com and read this. But the gist of it is that there have been some guys out there and they want to have uh, a pro-rape movement that rape is okay and I, I think it was in Canada in Toronto maybe that a women's boxing club threatened to show up at a media uh, you know a meetup of these pro-rape guys and I guess just beat the hell out of them uh, go you um, the women's boxing club in Toronto should meet up with the feminists in Paris you know who go out and protest against ISIS you guys have a lot in common kudos. And if I'm ever there, I want to come and meet you guys. So everyone, thanks for listening today. I do have to go. Um, go to don'tletitgo.com to continue the conversation, support the show, and I will talk to you next week. Take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.